Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupersinger. Jill Klein is a professor of marketing at Melbourne Business School. Her latest research looks at how we as consumers make ethical choices, such as deciding to purchase fair trade products. Her findings indicate that ethical purchases are not entirely altruistic and that they provide value to the consumer in the form of a self-esteem boost. Jill, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's, it's very, very nice to be here. I'd like to begin by hearing about your research more broadly, and then I'm keen to learn what you mean by ethical consumption. What is that? Okay, well, first I'll explain a little bit about my my research over my career. Um, So as a bit of background, I'm a social psychologist who got hired as a marketing uh, young professor at uh, Northwestern University at Kellogg Graduate School of Management back in 1990. And so a lot of my work on consumer behavior and research kind of takes social psychology sorts of issues about decisions that people make and what influences people and how our attitudes affect our choices and sort of taking all of those psychology principles and bringing it into marketing. What was most interesting to me as a marketing academic were Aspects of the product that weren't your traditional attributes, you know, when marketers think about attributes of a product or service, they think about the price and the durability and the reliability and the colors that are used and, you know, all of those different attributes of of, uh, products. But I was very interested in other aspects like where it's made um, and how people feel about the country that makes the product or how ethical you think the company is that makes the product or the service. So the first work that I did in this area was I looked at how anger towards another country affects your willingness to buy that country's stuff, to buy products from that country. And um, this was a a really long-term research project that has been picked up by many, many other researchers. So there's now a big body of research on this, which really asks the question, how does anger or animosity towards a foreign country affect your willingness to purchase their products? And we found that it actually has a powerful effect that you can think that a country's products are really well-made, really good, really reliable, But also think, I'm not going to own that. And that comes from your feelings about the country. And the first place that we studied this was in Nanjing, China, where there's still, you know, generations later, um, substantial anger around the Japanese occupation um, in the late 30s and during World War II of parts of China and, and particularly Nanjing. And there was a massacre there. And it's, you know, it's, it's a significant part of their history. And we went to Nanjing in the mid-90s and measured how angry people still were about those, those historical um, incidents and events. And then we measured what products they owned. And what we found is that uh, how angry they still were predicted whether they owned Japanese goods. But interestingly, 
they were all pretty happy to say the Japanese make great products. You know, Japanese products are really nice. They're really well made. But if they were very angry, and many of them still were very angry, they weren't buying them. They were saying not in not in my house. And so that that started, like I said, a long research project on international animosity. And since then, people have also looked at affinity when you love a foreign country that makes you want to buy their stuff more. And um, so all of these interesting things. But the other natural path from that international work was, okay. well, what if you're angry at the company? So that got me into looking at boycotts and the related issue more generally of ethical consumption. Now you are asking me, what is ethical consumption? Um, so ethical consumption is basically the idea that you choose what to purchase and consume based on not just the quality of the product, but whether you think it's good for the environment, the company treats its workers well, Is it a socially responsible company? So, you know, those kinds of issues come into play when you're making your your choices. Let me just try and get my head around this. And perhaps you can help me by just more in general terms telling me who is affected by this research. Yes. Well, it's interesting because um, I did a paper on boycotts uh, with Andrew John, who's also a professor at Melbourne Business School, and with Craig Smith, who's at INSEAD. And the three of us did a study on a, a big French boycott of a real company that I'm still not allowed to name, um, but uh, by, by contract, um, but a big French company that closed some factories and was targeted for a massive uh, boycott. And when we wrote that paper up, most journal articles in business uh, journals, you have a managerial implications section. So you tell managers, so what should you do? But we had two sections. We had the managerial implications and we had the NGO implications. So we sort of wrote up, what should you do if you're calling for a boycott against a company? What are our findings mean for you? And if you're the manager being faced with a boycott, what might your strategies be as implied by the research we were doing? So often in the ethical consumption area, you kind of have two audiences, the the marketers who are thinking about how much should we invest in the ethical aspects of our products? How much should we communicate those things and how should we communicate those things? And then there's also the side of, you know, organizations, not-for-profit organizations that encourage consumers to buy the environmentally friendly products or, you know, the ethical products. So that that makes it, it gives us an an extra layer of interesting and, uh, you know, additional audiences to speak to. So there, there are a lot of people researching this issue. And one of the key questions that's really important, both for marketing and for groups that are trying to promote ethical consumption is, under what circumstances will people engage in ethical consumption? Because there is a fair amount of research out there, including some research done by Pat Auger, who is also a professor at at Melbourne Business School, um, showing that on surveys, people will say, 
oh yeah, I'll buy the ethical product, sure I will. But when push comes to shove and they have to maybe not buy their preferred product and choose a different product that they might not like as much, but it's more ethical, when people actually have to make those trade-offs, they often don't make the ethical choice. On the other hand, we know that many consumers sometimes do make the ethical choice. So the question is, you know, who, who is making those ethical choices? You know, so can we identify by the type of consumer? And a lot of research has looked at that. And the work that I've done uh, with colleagues has mostly looked at, you know, what are the circumstances under which someone will uh, buy an ethical product? So who is it in businesses that are responsible for this? Is it just up to the marketers to come up with the right kind of packaging perhaps to influence consumers' choices? Yes, it, it, it's very much the marketing group that decides this because they make the decisions about the packaging and so forth. But often when you see organizations that are you know really doing the right things from a um, corporate social responsibility perspective, that it comes from the top, um, that, you know, you, you need to have people at the top on the executive teams that are saying, look, this is important to us. And for example, when all this was going on, and, and I have not looked recently at what they're doing now, but when this was going on, Cadbury announced that they were uh, making a transition from palm oil-based products to um, non-palm oil-based products, right? And my guess is that wasn't a marketing person necessarily who got to make that decision. That's a massive decision involving their supply chain and everything else. So that had to have come from the top. So then when we get to the shop, what does this mean for consumers and and their decision-making? So I think what it means for managers is that point of purchase is really critical. You know, that really matters. What's there at the point of purchase? You know, what's on the shelf display or the website? You know, if you're a service, you're marketing a service or, or you know, you're a retailer. What are people seeing as they're clicking through? As, you know, in if they're actually in an actual store, as they're reaching for the shelf, what are they seeing? I think one other thing is that For years, research has shown that there's a small segment of consumers for whom ethical consumption is a huge part of their identity. It has a big impact. They they will take the time to do the research and look things up and use that to make their choices. Behind that group, there's a much bigger segment of consumers who really care about ethical consumption, but just don't have the time to keep it all straight, right? It's just too hard. So if you make it easy for those consumers through point of purchase information, they're probably going to buy your more ethical product. But the other thing, too, that I think people need to be aware of and managers need to be aware of is more and more there are apps that people have on their phones and they can tell the app what causes they care most about and then they can... Um, just scan the codes on the barcodes on products and they get a score. And so the more that becomes something that's available to people, that might bring in this much bigger segment that isn't willing to sit online for hours looking up companies and their history and all of that, but they are willing to take the few extra seconds per purchase to do a scan. 
So just to recap, it, it seems like labelling a product as ethical would then engage a buyer's self-esteem, right? It's really interesting that you asked that question because that's exactly what we looked at in research that was recently published in the Journal of Business Ethics that I did with my colleagues, Remy Tudel, Sankar Sen, and Niraj Dewar. And in this research, we asked the question, if I buy the fair trade coffee or the fair trade chocolate bar, am I doing it really for the farmer or is it for me? Who am I really doing it for? And that was kind of our question because some research had been emerging um, in, in recent years that, you know, a lot of our purchases are about reinforcing our self-esteem and our sense of who we are. And we know that, you know, if, if I'm a Nike person or I'm Adidas person and I wear those shirts or, you know, that a lot of the things we buy are about connecting with our identity and showing other people who we are. And so a natural question that we asked was, so is that behind ethical consumption that it makes you feel good about yourself and kind of helps you see yourself as a moral, caring, concerned person? And is that why people would buy the ethical product? And that's what we looked at in this research. You know, there's been a lot of research over the decades in social psychology that's looked at how does our need to boost our identity or boost our self-esteem affect our behavior? And generally what that research does is in the research, people experience kind of a a knock to their self-esteem. Something happens that makes them feel bad temporarily. And that research then shows that people are likely to do things to reestablish their self-esteem. So exam for example, a very old social psychology study had people work on a survey at a desk, but the desk was rigged so that the participant would think they knocked over a big stack of books. So they would think they had just done this clumsy thing and then they're, you know, they're helping the experimenters stack the books back up. Anyway, then they're sent down the hall to what they think is another experiment. And on the way, there's someone collecting for charity. And what the research found was people who had, quote unquote, knocked over the books were significantly more likely to donate to charity. And that's just one of many studies that shows that when we take a hit to our sense of ourselves as, you know, coordinated, competent, intelligent, whatever that hit is, then we may take a, a subsequent opportunity to make ourselves feel better. My view of people is that we're kind of like um, vacuum cleaners that leave our house in the morning ready to to suck up opportunities to feel good about ourselves. And in the meantime, while we're doing that, we get hit with blows to our self-esteem, right? Something doesn't go the way we want it. Our boss tells us that they weren't happy with something we did. You know, we take these little blows to our self-esteem. And when we do, we immediately are looking for an opportunity to um, reinforce our self-esteem. And, and the example I like to use, because I've experienced this myself, is you know, if you ever get a little irritable in a service encounter, you know, maybe lose your cool a little bit in a service encounter and, you know, you end up not being as nice as you would like to see yourself as being. Do you ever notice that you're then holding doors open for people and being super polite for the next few hours? 
And I've certainly had that experience. And I think, you know, what we're doing is you, by not behaving really correctly and up to your own standards, you're taking a little hit to your self-esteem in your sense of how you would like to treat others. And so you've taken that little blow and now I need to replenish. And so I engage in all these behaviors to replenish. And, and, and that view of human beings has really come out pretty strongly in social psychology that, you know, our, our sense of identity is kind of constantly in play by the things that we do and the things that happen to us. And so that does then, you know, affect our behavior. So in, in our study, what we did, and this is going to sound terrible, this is going to sound like the ethics researcher has done something really horribly unethical, but I swear this was all approved by ethical committees at the universities where this was done. What we did was we gave people a little blow to their self-esteem, and then we looked to see if they were more likely to choose the ethical product. Sometimes it was a fair trade chocolate bar, even though it was smaller than the other alternative or it was the ethical cleaning product, even though it wasn't as effective as the non-ethical alternative. So, you know, were people willing to sacrifice for the ethical product? And were they more willing to do so after a blow to their self-esteem? So our listeners may be wondering, blow to self-esteem? You know, what, what do you do to these people? Well, it turns out that if I ask you to write with your non-dominant hand, so let's say you're right-handed, and I say, I have this little task for you. Can you write three ways in which you're intelligent? Can you write that with your left hand? And it turns out, lots of research has shown, that when we're asked to do that, we feel stupid for a little while. Because you're trying to assert your intelligence and you can't because it's your non-dominant hand. So for most of us, we do a really crummy job of trying to write this thing down. And so, you know, it, it, we experience a little blow to our sense of competence and intelligence. And the nice thing about this manipulation and why ethics committees approve it is that it... Uh, it doesn't last very long. It lasts for just a few minutes and then people kind of bounce back to where they were before. Um, and so we did this and people were significantly more likely to choose the ethical option when they had been in that situation compared to someone who just got to use their dominant hand to write about a movie that they particularly like. That was our control condition. And so giving people a blow to their self-esteem, even that minor little blow, increased significantly their choice of an ethical product. And here's the really interesting thing, which is that if before they have a chance to make an ethical choice, we make them feel better, then they don't make the ethical choice. So what do your research findings mean to businesses or the marketers within the businesses? That's a really good question. And it's not completely straightforward because obviously as a marketer, you don't want to go out to your consumers and give them blows to their self-esteem, right? Um, that's not going to be something that's a great idea for you to do. So what can you do? So one thing that we recommend is that if you have a product portfolio, right, um, Maybe where you emphasize the ethicality of your product or where you invest the most in making sure that product is as ethical as possible 
is maybe the product where people might feel a little guilty about buying it anyway. So the extravagant product, the product that might make them feel like, you know, I'm not being that smart here by buying this. Um, is this really a good decision? And, and making that decision, they may be in need of a little self-esteem boost. That ethical aspect to the product might give them exactly what they need. I think also um, it's, it's really good, of course, for fair trade to talk about why it helps the farmer, because for it to be an ethical choice, it has to be something that helps somebody else. So you can't get rid of that altogether. But also if marketers could help make the link about how good you're going to feel drinking this coffee um, with every sip a farmer is being helped. You know, that sort of thing, so that the, the self-enhancement aspect is in a subtle way kind of being put up there for the consumer to, to think about and consider. So for in some ways, what marketers need to do is just realize that at any moment, in any decision, for any consumer, they could be, you know, in a, in a state where they've just had some sort of knock to their self-esteem. And so what you need for them is to show that this will help and they're going to be part of something by participating in this and then making it really clear what the ethical option is. Because even if I'm in need of a self-esteem boost, I may not take a lot of time to stop and look things up on my phone and figure out what the ethical option is. So again, showing me at the point of purchase, this is the ethical option that's going to be really helpful. Absolutely. And particularly, I'm just thinking about the time of year we're approaching summer holidays and a number of different cultural celebrations. And it's very timely for us to be making uh, some clearer decisions and just thinking a little bit more about how we make our choices as consumers. I think that's also really relevant. And I think there's some trends that are going to be interesting along those lines, which is that you know, there's been a trend towards minimal, minimalism and, you know, people are reading the books and watching the TV programs and, you know, consuming, you know, some people are thinking about just consuming less as, as a good lifestyle choice and is good for the environment and so forth. And so I think gifts that you can give to other people that also help people I think that might be on consumers' minds. And I think particularly charitable organizations that sell people, you know, you're giving a goat to someone in, a, in an impoverished situation for whom a goat would be a really helpful thing for them. Um, or you're, you're, by making this donation and then giving this, this gift to somebody, I'm telling them, you help 10 girls in this country go to school and buy their school supplies. I think this is really a great time for people to be thinking about that. And particular, those gifts are things that can be sent via email. And given that people can't travel during these holidays, I think it's a great time for NGOs to be marketing those options to holiday shoppers. Jill, before we wrap up, uh, do you have any other advice for our listeners who want to know more about how to approach purchasing ethical products? Well, I think there is a lot of literature out there. There's a lot of discussion um, out there. So there are certain things 
certainly things that you can go look at. I mean, one piece of advice that I would have for consumers is don't feel bad that it makes you feel good to buy an ethical product (laughs) and that making yourself feel good is one of your motivations. I say run with that. If what makes you feel good is helping someone else, that suggests you're an altruistic person and you should be proud of that. And if it gives you a boost of self-esteem, that's great. It kind of doesn't matter if you're doing it for the farmer or you're doing it for yourself or you're doing it for some com- a combination of the two. The farmer gets the same help. <laughs> so I think that's a key thing for consumers to know. You know, after the tsunami oh, 16 years ago now, the tsunami in Thailand, my husband and I went with a couple of students and brought medical supplies over from Singapore. We found doctors. We brought medical supplies. And we knew that part of why we were doing that is we were really sad about what was happening. We were feeling the pain of what was happening. And by taking that action, it relieved some of our pain. So we knew, as a social psychologist, I knew part of it was selfish. I wanted to feel better and escape from that pain. But you know what? Those medicines got to people, right? So I'm of the view that kind of doesn't matter your motivation. If you end up helping, hey, that's a good thing for the world. Jill, thank you so much for your time today. It has been great to speak with you. Thank you so much. This is really fun stuff to talk about, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.